The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody, to all of my listeners in the United States and around the world. This is Good Morning New York. I am your host, Vince Rocco, and we are coming to you live uh, this morning from Blastoff Productions in New York City. Um, we want to get right to the news this morning. Super broker Dolly Lenz has laid to rest the rumor that Sarah Jessica Parker and Matthew Broderick were house hunting in the West Village by confirming via Instagram that the celebrity duo have indeed inked a deal for two townhouses on West 11th Street. It seems that Parker and Broderick are hopping on the mega mansion bandwagon with plans to combine the townhouses at 273 and 275 West 11th Street into a 50-foot-wide, 13,900-square-foot mansion. The Real Deal reported earlier this month that Parker and Broderick were seen eyeing the townhouses which were put on the market by the nonprofit United Methodist Women in September with Eastern Consolidated for a price tag of $44 million. A rep for Eastern Consolidated confirmed that the listing has gone into contract and it is most rec- at its most recent asking price of $35 million and clarified that Dolly Lenz was not involved in the deal. Broderick and Parker sold their lovely East 10th Street townhouse at a loss last March. The couple paid nearly $19 million for that townhouse in 2011, fully renovated it before relisting it for $25 million and ultimately sold it for $18.25 million. Bold New York, a rental-centric residential brokerage that works directly with landlords, is taking a leap into condominium unit sales with a new boutique project in Greenport. Greenpoint. The brokerage was tapped to market 533 Leonard Street. This is a 13-unit project being developed by Nisam Ben Nunn and Nicholas Werner's Largo Investments. This marks the firm's first foray into sales for a new development condo. Bold is currently leasing the Morning Group's massive tower Sky at 605 West 42nd Street, which has 1,175 rental units. Uh, For example, Bold's president and co-founder, Jordan Sachs, said 533 Leonard Street is one of roughly a dozen new development condos in Bold's pipeline, though he declined to disclose specific addresses, citing various non-compete agreements. Well-heeled buyers scooped up 21 properties priced at $4 million and up last week, half of them in new developments. This according to Olshan's Realty's weekly luxury market report. But luxury Manhattan homes on average spent more than a year on the market before going into contract, according to the report, which found properties above $4 million took an average of 365 days to sell. For the week of February 8th through the 14th, the total asking prices and sales volume was $146.2 million with an average asking price of 
$9 million. The number one contract was for a townhouse at 400 West Street, asking $15.95 million, a steep discount from original asking price of $25 million in 2009. With fears over the falling value of their currency, the Chinese are looking to send their large sums abroad, and this could mean continued investments in the New York real estate market. New York's swankiest skyscrapers have become the new Swiss banks for the world's richest undesirables. It's ironic considering that for decades Washington led the charge against the Swiss and others for facilitating money laundering through numbered bank accounts. Today, Switzerland has cleaned up its act and the filthy rich have turned to New York City, turning it into a secrecy haven to stash their cash through the use of shell companies. The flood of dirty money of unknown origin into New York is staggering. In the past five years, about $8 billion worth of apartments worth $5 million or more have been bought. Most troubling, though, is that 50% of these have been bought for cash, forked out by shell companies controlled by persons unknown. The United States as a whole has become a magnet for unsavory people because its real estate developers and lawyers are not legally required to know who their clients are, as Swiss banks now must. Finally, despite years of lobbying by law enforcement officials, the federal government is starting to crack down on the loophole. The Beverly Hills home of late romance writer Jackie Collins is slated to hit the market for $30 million. The property is an eight-bedroom mansion totaling close to 20,000 square feet, and it was completed in 1992. It features a 100-foot-long entranceway, a gym, a sauna, a screening room, terraces overlooking the Hollywood Hills, and a motor court. A swimming pool resides in the central courtyard. A townhouse next door to Woody Allen here in New York City is on the market for $27 million, which is $4 million less than the owner paid for the home in 2014. Uh, model Trigger Chris Cole, an Arizona-based investor, secretly bought the townhouse at 116 East 70th Street through an LLC for $31 million from decorative arts expert Susan Weber Soros, who is the ex-wife of billionaire George Soros. Cole then tried to shop the house for $33 million. When the mansion didn't sell, he dropped the price to $28 million. This week, the price sank to $27 million. He's biting the bullet and willing to take a $4 million hit, a source said. It's another sign, possibly, that New York City townhouses are often overpriced, as we have reported previously. He paid too much. He paid too much. And, you know, listen, I don't know that that's just the, um, just the townhouse marketplace, but I'm starting to think that it's kind of, you know, spreading around to other properties, you know, paying too much. And here we go again, back to drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, you know, it, it's just one of those things. One last thing I wanted to talk about here is uh, unbeknownst to many of us, the difference between a basement and a cellar, because people ask me this all the time, is in fact a nuanced legal matter. At least half the story must be above ground to qualify as a basement in New York City. Otherwise, it's considered a cellar and not legally habitable, no matter how nice it looks. And this is important because, because of square footage um, mm-hmm. later on. To put it in legal ease, a basement is a building story that has has at least one half of its floor-to-ceiling height above curb level or the base plane, in the words of the New York City Planning Department, and this space is included in floor area calculations, meaning the square footage of the building. The cellar is legally defined as a level of a building that uh, has at least one half of its floor-to-ceiling height below curb level or the base plane. It's not included in floor area calculations. This, again, very important in townhouses when we have subterrain or partially subterrain floors. Mm -hmm. This becomes important when determining if the bottom floor of a townhouse 
is included in the square footage and if it's legal to rent. Yeah, and security and fire. I mean, when you're dealing with someone who rents or buys something as a basement, correct, and then they live there, they have to be able to to leave. Correct. Should there be a fire? And should there be a fire? And you know, people don't think about these things. They want yeah. to create a map. I recently saw a townhouse, actually uptown, beautiful downtown space that you really can't call a room for the reasons we just described. But they had their master bedroom set up down there, and I would be very concerned for myself living in a space like that because if there were a fire or a Bloody. flood anything, there was no way out other than up the stairs. And if that was blocked, you know, you're pretty much trapped. So you got to be very careful how you use these rooms or these spaces. You'd be amazed how people live when it's below market though. So if if your price point is way below market living in a basement or whatever they call a cellar basement, people will do it even with those issues. People will do it and it always comes down to square footage or the need for more room or the need for more space, whatever. Family rooms tend to you know, be the norm in those those places. Um, but, you know, and even that's unsafe, you yep. know, if there Agreed. isn't uh, enough egress <clears throat> or emergency ways uh, in or out. Anyway, I'm here talking to Rachel Altshuler from Douglas Element. <laughs> <Hi>. we, <laughs> we are here together this morning. We're waiting on a couple of other people to come in to join us for our roundtable discussion. But in the meantime, I wanted to ask you, um, how did you have any open houses this weekend? I did. I had three. And so we have an accepted offer on one and the other one was a little, little busy and the other one was slow. So it's really kind of across the board. There's no rhyme or reason right now. That's we, what I'm finding. We, yeah, there isn't. And, and I wanted to, to understand that a little bit because, of course, as we need to discuss with sellers, you know, in the days following open houses – we have two listings uh, in the same building on the market about three weeks ago. We mm-hmm. had two open houses. We had the third one this past weekend. And interesting, we only had two people come for second looks this weekend, so not a general you know, bunch of folks coming to see it for the first time. And they're, they're priced well. Uh, they're in a building that sells fairly well. So I'm wondering you know, what the market is actually saying to us at the moment, uh, is it is it indicative of the overall market? Is it maybe the one-bedroom marketplace because these are two one-bedrooms? Or is it just kind of a – everybody says to me, are we slowing down a little bit? Are things not moving as quickly? I, I believe we're slowing down a little bit. I, I also believe that ultimately it's about pricing at the end of the day. And and open houses, I, th- I think most people know, but if our listeners don't know, open houses are really for the agents – to find clients, find new clients, and for first-time buyers to go and educate themselves and see what's out there. So a lot of times as a broker, you're, in a, you're at an open house and people are just, you know, it goes from being bored on a, on a Sunday where they just have something to do to, oh, we just started our search. We want to see what's out there. But the real buyers are out there during the week usually with their broker, mm-hmm. have an appointment set up. Mm-hmm. That's typically what's done in New York City. So these open houses aren't a direct indicator of the market. I've, just, I've said that for years, and I, I discuss that with my business partner all the time because you know I go back and forth with open houses and, and, and you know the relevance of open houses at times. And I always say you know the serious buyer who is out there is going to be looking during the week when they are working, when they have to take time off because it's important to them, they're going to be making an appointment through a broker, and they're going to be coming to see the properties that they have decided that they are interested in. You know, open house is a, is a whole a bunch of things, mostly, you know, for people who are, are at the start of their search. And I actually say to people all the time, you know, when you first start your search, come and look and see what's out there. You know, I don't necessarily have to go with you. In fact, I will send them to several open houses um, 
and have them go and look to see what's out there. So that by the time we all get together mm-hmm. and we start looking during the week, or even if it's, it's open focused. houses, it's more focused, That's and right. there are you know uh, better better opportunities to find exactly what you're looking for because you're honing stuff down. So I got a great story that I got to tell you. Open houses are so great for meeting new clients, as I said. One of my favorite stories is this open house. Randomly, nobody was coming in. I think I was overpriced. And I met the greatest client of all time who ended up buying and selling probably $30 million worth of stuff within five years. Isn't that something? And that's from an open house. So that's really what, what I find to be helpful for my career. It's not to you know, drive the price up. The frenzy helps. The open houses help when it's the first open house and it's a very unique, special property Mm -hmm. to get the frenzy up and drive the price up. That's when it's great. Right. Well, again, like I said, I kind of go up and down on whether open houses are relevant. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. But in this particular case, I'm, I'm really concerned that, you know, and it was a good weather weekend, too, yeah. so it was just kind of slow. It wasn't slow. a blizzard. It wasn't the Super Bowl. It no. wasn't crazy train situations. No. So that's that's interesting. So now, Do you, you know, think you're overpriced? Uh, one of them is definitely going for a price reduction, yes. But okay. the other one is, I think, a little underpriced. So I was hoping that we would generate a little more, a lot more interest, rather, and, and maybe bring that price up uh-huh. or at least get it sold. Are we, they staged right? Perfectly. Hmm. Perfectly. Interesting. Interesting. That's my concern because this week I want to talk, you know, to both sellers and 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 you know have a, a realistic conversation. And I have to say, you know, for the, one of the first times, you know, in all these years I'm doing this, I'm kind of thinking, well, you know, where, where am I going to go with this conversation? Because I don't necessarily know what it it is. Uh, What's the feedback keeping, been from from the buyers and brokers? And we've had two offers on one of them. Okay, uh, both have gone nowhere, and okay. we're supposedly waiting for two Those more. Those offers are close to asking, or are they? They were at asking. Oh, so you're priced correctly. I'm priced correctly. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, you're right when you said it before. It's, it usually sometimes comes down to pricing, but w- that's not the issue here. Yeah. We're we're doing well, so yeah. price wise. So yeah. at the end of the day, who knows? I mean, it's a whole bunch of things. I mean, it is kind of February and 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 sort of the the start of what we call the spring selling season. But yet the weather has been sort of accommodating. I'm I'm kind of thinking, you know, I'm not really sure what it is. I think a lot of people are waiting for the spring market. I think they are, but and and I've I've tested with a couple of uh, my colleagues too. Their open houses weren't as robust this past weekend, either. So, but what I'm telling my buyers is, if you wait for the spring market, guess what? There's way more inventory. Great, but there's also double, triple the amount of buyers out there. More competition, which is going to be higher prices. So, get the deal now. Get the deal now. I totally agree with that. Same on the rental side. Anyway, we have to go to break. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. (laughs) Hello, everybody. We are back. And Niall Lundgren has joined us with Rachel Altschuler. So we're going to get into our topics uh, for the uh, for the morning. So while your friends outside of New York City are basically amateur real estate moguls, having already purchased their first starter homes, flipped them, made a tidy profit, and moved on to their next, you bleed your bank account uh, dry every month for an apartment that at the end of the day isn't even yours, paying very high rents in New York City. So how is this fair? I mean, you know, I actually do have friends of mine who say to me, you guys pay such high rents, you know, we're into our first or second or even third home. What is the compelling reason, you know, that we should stay here, probably paying too much money? What do you do? Well, you know, I'm uh, I'm in my my early 30s, and I've had I have a lot of my friends who have you know who live in the suburbs who have bought and sold repeatedly um, since they were 27, even younger, and it, it's just astonishing to me that that they've done it so many times and have made money while I'm just paying rent. Um, I know it's, uh, there's a there's a lifestyle that that comes with living in New York City, and that's you know what we're essentially paying for. I don't have to pay for car insurance or a car or anything like that. You know you pay cabs and, and get on the subway. But um, for them, it just, you know, I'm, I'm looking at them and they're like, you know, how many deals have you done? I'm like, oh man, that's crazy. Cause the entry point <laughs> in New York is so much higher, you know? And I think, it is. so I don't know. It, it, it's just crazy to think about. But, but, but is there, is there something that compels people who are paying these rents or who are living here in the city to want to put down roots somewhere else outside of the city and not just a second home. I mean, just a a home to call home and just maybe commute into the city because overall, uh, financially, it probably is cheaper. Yeah, I had a I had a client who um, actually I met out in the Hamptons over the summer, and they were thinking about buying in the Upper East Side or Brooklyn. We had preliminary talks in December, and then uh, you know reached out to them again, you know, in in late January. And they're like, you know what, we've we've readjusted our search. We want to get actually some bigger space, and we're thinking in Westchester. Um, so it's just interesting to see that people are actually opting for that. You know, because of the commute, it's a lot easier to get in. You know, you take the MTA um, right into Grand Central, and they both work Central and Midtown. So it seems like that's a that's a fantastic option for people to you know buy at a at a lower price point and actually have some space. So, can rich people really ever fall in love? Apparently, not with real estate. A new study from Realtor.com has found. Well, this is interesting. Has found that listings that include the word "sexy," "seductive," are on average more expensive than listings that have the word "love" in it. Yeah. And when we write up our our descriptions for new properties, love is basic. An economic researcher for Realtor.com told the Wall the Wall Street Journal. So, happy belated Valentine's Day. Listings with the word "romance." were on average $820,000, while seductive was priced an average of $640,000, and sexy properties went for $620,000. So I'm trying to follow the, the Wait a minute. reasoning here. Love seems to be more, not less. Yes? Did I hear that right? They're saying the opposite. opposite. They're, they're saying the opposite huh. of that. On the other hand, lovely and love were in listings for properties that cost an average of two sixty four or two hundred and fifty, respectively. Now, I remember, you know, years ago when I first started in the business, I put on a studio um, 
exclusive. And I used the word sexy in my copy, and I <laughs> swear to you, my manager almost hit the ceiling. Went bananas, yelled and screamed at me, told me I needed to take it off, and I thought... You know, I'm describing this as a sexy city studio. I will never forget the topic, sexy city studio, because guess what? It was. <laughs> but I couldn't, I couldn't advertise it that way. What is it, my question, what I'm leaning up to is, so when we sit down and we write copy for our listings, and we all do it, um, and Shane and I had to do three of them this week, what, what do you need to say, or how should you say it, or why can't you use, or should you use, some of these we, we have to words. target most of New Yorkers that have a fear of commitment. That's what it comes down to, because it's a fear <laughs> of commitment, both real estate and love. And so I kind of agree with that. I want to do my own study. Like, I'm totally into that stuff. But I feel like I think using either word is wrong and inappropriate and unprofessional. I think love and sexy is weird. I don't think I've used either one in my descriptions. I so, have used lovely. Lovely, which is kind of like cozy. I've used lovely. I've used lovely, Maybe, before, but yes. different than love. Like different you'll love, love this. That's no, very different. No. Um, yeah. so, it's not up to me to tell you what you're going to And there was that's a project. Rent, rentals. Yeah, you're maybe. Love this so, there was bed. a project you guys know a um, long time ago that, that really went off on the sex. Remember, it was their marketing was, was all. Awesome. I don't yes. know if we can say, but. It wasn't in Williamsburg, but it was downtown and it was, you know, it didn't do well because they really played up on the women in the bathing suits and the whole Mm. sexy marketing and it failed. I'm trying to remember which one it was, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'll tell you later. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I remember there was a building down in the financial district. I think it was the district. Yes, that's it. That's the, is that the one you were talking about? Um, Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Well, anyway, they, <laughs> yes. had a whole, they had a whole sexy campaign that the company who was originally marketing that building lost it, and they had to go back with a new company and kind of redefine the whole thing. You know what? Listen, I, you know the old expression, and I'm not advocating sex sells. Maybe some of these words are not so bad. I don't know. It certainly will grab people's attention, I think. But it's always a struggle when Well, when it comes to I'm just writing generally writing copy, though, is, uh, is that I feel like it's like, you know, in Manhattan restaurants, there's like a vegetable that gets really popular. So right now it's cauliflower. It used to be Brussels sprouts, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I, I feel love like, cauliflower. Yeah, I, f- I feel, I do too. Uh, me, yeah, I love me all vegetables. I'm vegetarian. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, uh, but it's so funny. It's just like they're like these in vogue vegetables, you know? And I feel like our copy is like that. Like at some point people start using the word luxury and ultra luxury. Lately the word has been bespoke, you know? And it's like, well, does anybody even understand the meaning of the word bespoke to overuse it? (laughs) Because it just right there is the irony in it all, right? So I just feel like all of these words become in vogue and they get overused and then we look for other words. But to, you know, to sort of address your original question, it's just like, you know, I think those of us who are responsible brokers want to be marketers, but also give a real sense and sensibility of of the space itself. Let me know? ask another question about. Let me ask another question about um, text and how we're writing. Do you, do you guys find that your sellers? Because all of a sudden, I'm seeing more and more that my sellers want to approve or at least read the text and and and, and really? kind of say, all right, this is correct. This is we'll change this word. Oh yeah, I recently had a a, a wordsmith artist. I called him. He was funny, <laughs> very great guy. Love him to death. You know, whatever. Great relationship, but. Wow, wordsmithing, t- I mean, beyond. So Ooh, a lot of I actually don't mind, do- though. I th- no, because I didn't, it's another I didn't set mind. of eyes that can say, like, oh, it should be this. And so I, as long as it's in the 
48 hours, bef- you know, before it goes, right, right <laughs> after it goes live and then you find mistakes a week or oh, two gosh, later, you're like, no. no. So yeah. I encourage sellers to actually <laughs> read it, get back to me on the correct information or something could be better. I don't mm. mind it at all. No, I didn't mind yeah. it, but I'm just finding it, it's a little odd because I'm seeing more and more of it than I've ever seen before. Nicolaitis from Metropolitan Magazine has just joined us. We're going to talk to him in the next after the next break, but you, did you want to say something? I'm just going to sexy apartments. I turned down two juicies, so it What's can a juicy? get worse. I'm confused. What's a juicy? In other words, somebody labeled an apartment juicy oh. twice. Two different people. Wow. So it gets worse is my point. It gets uh, <laughs> Much that's, worse. Well, oh. That, oh, that's yes. juicy. Oh, yes. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Renters across the city could soon become guinea pigs for landlords contemplating a condominium conversion. A new memo from the New York Attorney General's office uh, declares that landlords can now solicit interest and potential pricing for condo conversion projects at buildings which are currently occupied by renters, something they were previously barred from doing. Developers could uh, already submit so-called test-the-market applications for many condo conversion projects. They weren't yet sure they wanted to pursue in earnest. These applications called CPS1s allow developers to distribute basic plans and pricing on a potential project in order to gouge, you know, see what the demand is. How real can this become? I mean, they used to have to go through a a certain process, you know, before they can actually even offer you an offering to buy your apartment if you're living in a rental building. Now it seems like they don't have to have attorney general uh, permission, um, at least initial permission. They can just... I live in a rental building. They can come to me and say, hey, would you be interested in buying your apartment for a million dollars or, or whatever Wait, the number is? So I, this was about 10 years ago. Um, Harold Towers. 34th Street. Uh, 34th Street. Yes. A friend yes. of mine lived in that building, and I remember he was a renter, and he was given an option to purchase mm-hmm. before they even convert. So I think this may have been in play a while ago. Um, I was surprised when I read this. Probably file, they probably filed it back then. Right, right. now, now there it's must have much, been some sort of a filing. Now I yes. think it's much easier, right? So literally, they would just send it out and just gauge interest to the the renters and say, "All right, well, eighty percent of my you know render population wants to buy here." It might be a good idea to, you know, make the condo conversion. I think it makes sense because, you know, the formal process that I remember from years ago, you know, what if you have less than, you know, 50% of the people in the building interested? You know, what if you have less than 20%? But so then by the new standards or the new rules, you go out there early and just send a questionnaire around. If we were to do this, would you be interested in purchasing? I think maybe it makes a hell of a lot more sense today than, than it did in the past. Well, I think something, too, to keep in mind is that when you're talking about conversions, um, I think free market leases, they can just let those terminate, right? Correct. So we're only talking about people who are controlled or stabilized. Correct. Um, so that in and of itself limits the people, you know, I don't know, 20% of buildings, let's say, have have that. And maybe you have the answer to this now because I don't remember anymore, but, you know, there, there still seems to be a lot more uh, stabilized and controlled tenants in, in a lot of these buildings, especially the older pre-war buildings all around the city. So I don't remember what, what the numbers are anymore, but you're right. The free market people can be taken out yeah, immediately. Because it doesn't really matter what their opinion is. It doesn't matter because they don't. They just <laughs> will not get their, their yeah. lease renewed. But I'm still wondering, and maybe I'll look this up before the next show how many what the statistic is and how many rent stabilized and rent control tenants there are actually out there and of course Maya de Blasio this year and end of last year has returned to the market I think 200,000 plus mm-hmm. rent stabilized tenants there's so, a lot yeah there's mm-hmm. like there a million a uh, give or take is it really? total yeah that, that's a very from my memory number. which is not good but yeah 
<laughs> Sounded good enough to hey, me. Sounded good enough to me. I couldn't remember. I remember from- it being a lot more than I originally thought. So, mm-hmm. um, and when you think about it, I had a, a. I wonder if that includes preferential rent because I I had one of those I apartments. Think so, so really, it's it's they're common. They're not rare as you think. They're out there if you want to find one. Yeah, there are. And how many yeah. buildings do you think are still out there that can be uh, um, converted? Because, you know, the bulk of the conversions happened in the 80s and 90s. But, I mean, are there that many rental buildings oh, left? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Still, right? It, yeah. yeah. And then there's like 80% of yeah, the in fact, um, city. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, 75, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, like, 75% of mm-hmm. all residential buildings are rental buildings. Mm-hmm. So, or not, not buildings, wow. but seventy-five percent of units that are units, okay. uh, residential, yeah. yeah, residential units in New York City are rentals. So, okay, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Nicolaitis from Metropolitan Magazine and continue with the panel. You're listening to Good Morning New York. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. A little bit of a discombobulated morning this morning, but we're pulling it together, and we're all here. So as I said earlier before the break, my guest today is Nick Kalaitis. He um, is the uh, publisher of Metropolitan Magazine. He's also a multimedia producer, media consultant. He's based in New York City. He has 17 years of experience marketing luxury listings through his magazines and other venues and, and agents also in the New York metropolitan area. So good morning to you. Welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. It's such a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to stop agents from using the word juicy in copy. Well, there you go. <laughs> What it's all Traffic about, cop, it? is that what it's about? Exactly. Well, listen, when you're a publisher, you can do pretty much anything, right? There we go. We discombobulate and then recombobulate. Well, we're going to get into work. a couple of things here, but you know, sure. one of the things that always amazes me about you is as founder and publisher of Metropolitan Magazine, one of several magazines you've been involved in, you've got so many duties overseeing all aspects of production and publication, content planning, managing your strategic distribution, being the sounding board for both clients and staff. You also conduct some of the higher profile interviews. One, as the past couple of months, Barbara Corcoran, I think, stood out in my mind. You seem as busy as I do. How do you keep your day in order? I mean, what, what is it about? Well, the crazy helps. You know? <laughs> uh, that it does. 
staff. I mean, basically, I have just a wonderful group of people that I work with, and um, I um, just couldn't do anything really without them. So, How do you prioritize your day, though, with all those list of things I read off? Is production over publishing, over content planning, over interviews? How, how do you prioritize what um, – is important for the day? Is it just a matter of what is on your schedule? It's a challenge, but like anything else in life, I think it's about knowing what to take off your plate and what to leave onto it. You know, and it's uh, and also, unfortunately, or fortunately, I work 24-7. So usually I'm up until about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning mm. working on different projects and um, get up at 6.30 and do it all over again. I love it. See, I'm a, I'm a little different. I, I, don't do, I don't stay up, you know, to those, those wee hours of the morning any longer. I just work my butt off mm-hmm. with every hour that I have in the office during the day, mm-hmm. you know, up until 6, 7, 8 o'clock, whatever it is, and then I have to shut down and, and call it a day, even if I'm not completely finished with everything I have on my plate because then I find me, mm-hmm. I'm unproductive, uh, and it's just not going to work. So mm-hmm. I would prefer to just kind of put all cylinders, you know, you know, full steam ahead during the day. I also have three jobs. I mean, I host this radio show. I, you know, run a, a company and manage all the salespeople. And I do my own real estate transactions. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like one day I get up and I say, what day is this? Oh, come on. Is it morning? Why can't I just stay in bed this morning? And today was one of them. I didn't want to, you know, this should, one wasn't up. You should so adopt early. my way of uh, working from your bed. <laughs> <laughs> it's called iPad, and it's, it's it on my nightstand I sleep constantly. next to it, too. So. Next to it all the time. Mm-hmm. All right, in the last year, Nick, you hosted or co-hosted parties with Ivanka Trump, Dolly Lenz, Nikki Field, just to name a few. Um, and you also hosted or co-hosted the opening party of Million Dollar Listing. I think it was last year with Ryan Serhant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why do you do these things, and do you find them fun? Um, you know what? I find it fun after it's done. I feel like a sense of gratification, or rather a sense, sense of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. But truthfully, I think that um, to be helpful to this industry in general, um, it's about filling in the needs. And at this point, the biggest issue that I find is a lack of um, a lack of circulation of buyers and a lack of agents communicating with each other outside of Manhattan. So what I do at the networking events, and of course they're very often linked <clears> to <throat> a big personality to give them a little sex appeal, so to speak, to draw back to what we were talking about before. But it gets it gets <laughs> it, it's it just, juicy. Exactly, it's very juicy, <laughs> juicy extremely appeal. juicy. Uh, it I'm gets, telling you, it's all about sex appeal. <laughs> of course, I, I totally agree. <laughs> but it's uh, to get agents talking to each other. So one thing that I try to do is I try to be very strategic and get agents, top producers from Connecticut and from. Hudson Valley and from Long Island and get them all into the same room. And it tends to, especially in the, uh, the apartments that are ranging from, let's say, 2 million, 10 million, that kind of range, it helps uh, re- redistribute those buyers a bit. And so that's generally why I do that sort of thing. Do you have any preference when it comes to organizing the events? I mean, do you prefer them to be celebrities? Do you prefer them to be top-level agents? Because, you know, a lot of these things are uh, important to the industry. I mean, I attend some of them. I don't have time for all of them. But Mm -hmm. do you find the celebrities more interesting than the top broker? Depends on the person. um, But the one thing I will say is that it's important to me that I actually legitimately like the person we're doing the party with. And they've got to have some sort of a depth to mm-hmm. them. Like, for instance, um, in the case of Ryan Serhan, I mean, he's a fantastic writer. And I have a laundry list of hysterical emails I've gotten from him early in his career. So there's always some attribute that's connected to the person that we're partnering with right. that makes me proud to work with them. 
Metropolitan Magazine spotlights luxury rental uh, residential listings, new developments, and promotes both the corporate and personal luxury brand. You are Manhattan-centric, but also spread out across the New York metro area, as well as select markets across the U.S. Is this taking too much of your time? And by the way, where else are you outside of New York City in your publications? You're talking about outside of the New York metro area or just outside of Manhattan? New York metro area. Yeah, we, we've we been in a bunch of different states, but primarily we are in Florida, and uh, Beverly Hills is really kind of the centric other point. Is Beverly Hills new? No, no, no. World? It's been, you know what we do? It's uh, sporadic, um, maybe every other issue. Mm-hmm. We do it. I have a couple of clients that really are involved in it out there, and there's really no luxury magazines that exist in those places, if mm-hmm. you can somehow believe that. So. Really? Yeah, I know. It's, it's shocking. In Same Beverly Hills, there, believe it or not, mm-hmm. there isn't. Because I, ha- I know a few agents who work out in that marketplace, mm-hmm. and there are just general listings, magazines, but there isn't a luxury uh, book, so well, to speak. It's, quite it's funny. What I'm noticing is that uh, just like you have this Surprising kind of— Surprising for there, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the trend of, let's say, New York brokers mm-hmm. going to Florida, where everybody—it's mm-hmm. it's almost like it's the bespoke uh, of, <laughs> of ideas. But there's also a trend in Beverly Hills of these agencies coming to New York and trying to brand here. So I'm also trying to cater to that movement as well. That's very true, and I'm, I'm, I can't say too much about it, but I'm sort of working on something from there to here mm-hmm. because the, the expertise they're finding is here mm-hmm. for, for this exactly. luxury marketplace. So exactly. I wanted to follow with that mm-hmm. and ask you, you know, from your perspective as a publisher, we, we can answer that from, from an agent perspective, but what, what drives luxury here in Manhattan and why? I mean, what is, what is the, the term luxury is so overused, but what drives it? Because it's very big. That's, you know what, um, that's a really good question. I think it depends on how, what you determine luxury actually is. If you're talking about what, do, what drives buyers within that price range to where they'd like to live, which is probably the, um, at least what I consider the actual the meat of that question, it's, it's the, um, the gradient um, of interests that come with people that have kind of an affluent lifestyle. Like it's not all desperate housewives and whatever else. I mean, a lot of these people are, uh, have very rich and intricate um, interests. And I feel that the luxury market, the let's say the superficial end of it, is pretty well covered for the most part. But there's a lot of uh, depth to it that hasn't really been touched on. So it's starting to kind of be a trend where people are starting to look a little deeper and connect with their sellers in a little bit more of a, a more, uh, I guess, real way. So because of that, I think that's starting to drive the market in different places. So other, other agents in other states, Beverly Hills, some people from Florida, they, anyone that, with that sort of awareness tends to realize that, that they want to network with agents that are here. And that, I think, is starting to drive the market. What I'm finding here in New York City is <clears throat> because of this term luxury and because of the, mm-hmm. the Uber-priced high apartments that you feature in your magazines always, mm-hmm. um, I'm finding sometimes, and maybe it's just in my little world that I see, agents are more interested in focusing on that demographic or that market versus you know the meat and potatoes you know, where I grew up. And it's okay to have a studio listing even mm-hmm. after 14 years. It's okay to take a renter out even after 14 years. But I work with people including my own business partner who has <laughs> his big eyes on huh. all of Shout the out to big Shane. stuff. <laughs> on all of the big stuff. And it's like super focused, I mean really super focused mm-hmm. on all the big stuff. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute. That's cool. In a down market, what do you do though? That's my point. Yeah. So at some point, and we're seeing that, and that, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about your impression as well. The, the luxury is dropping down just a bit. I read uh, uh, in the news portion earlier, 
that price point is taking up to a year, 368 mm-hmm. days yeah, on the market before they sell. So in a down market, as Rachel says, what do you mm-hmm. do? It's meat and potatoes. How do you justify that in your magazine when you only use luxury type items? Well, if you really look, items? actually, um, the magazine is a very good reflection of the market because if you really look deep in it, the majority of the apartments that are in there are in the $5 million range and that price range, you know, maybe a little bit less. But the show pieces, the ones you notice, are the ones that are $50 million. Yeah. And that's, in my own personal opinion, that's essentially what those listings are for. They'll eventually sell if you keep at it and are creative, but they're show pieces. You know, it's kind of like the fancy living room with the big, nice couch, you know, with the plastic over it. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> you know, and I would say that uh, most big brokers, mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at Leonard Steinberg or uh-huh. like the Latans team mm-hmm. or... Rachel Altschiller over oh, here. Oh, wow. You know? Look at uh, Hello. But like, uh, <laughs> what are you doing later? <laughs> <laughs> I fly <or> <laughs> But, you know, like everybody I know really has that breadth of listings unless you are maybe a Dolly Lens, you know? But just about everybody else in the market space who is a phenomenal broker has been around mm-hmm. for a very long time really does cater to even the Eklund, Eklund Gomes team. I mean, they have a breadth of listings about at any given point. So I think that most brokers recognize no matter how big we are that we're not too big for anybody. It's funny. You know? I saw I saw on their listing page just recently that they have a, a nondescript one-bedroom in Hell's Kitchen and I thought, wow. That's interesting. Are they slumming? With all the- <laughs> <laughs> no, so I'm going to break it down for you. For all y'all. Ready for this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they have. Here we go. Because it's one of those days. She just took off her earrings. <laughs> and my ring. And my ring. Here it goes. So there's a, they have a team, a very large team. Uh-huh. Exactly. And That's when true. they, each member of that team goes out and pitches, they use the brand, mm-hmm. the TV show, to get those listings. Now, why my tone is what it is, is because a lot, I've had two of my sellers go with their team because they literally told me, well, they have a TV show. Oh, absolutely. And this is under one and a half million. This is under a million. This is some of my own buildings. Yeah. This was a development I sold. Mm-hmm. This was a, mm-hmm. a building I'm a broker specialist in. Mm-hmm. And they are going with these teams with new brokers, you're not getting the top, top, top leaders. You're getting these new agents. You're getting brand new agents who are completely inexperienced, right. number one. And number two, the other thing is when any broker has above 12 listings at a time, it's really difficult to showcase or get the ad space that you would want. Because, I mean, in your magazine, and I'm sure you can attest to this, you can't have seven list seven uh apartments or property showcased that all belong to the same broker. You know, you're going to want to vary that up. And I think that a lot of times uh, there's such a big, big divide between what we understand and what the end client understands, mm-hmm. to Rachel's you know, point. That, um, if I can just interject for a moment, that's exactly why publishing is important and why magazines are important because you're talking about that the sex appeal of the broker, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, the agent comes up and, yeah, so-and-so gets a, a listing because they have a television show. Well, that's the idea of making of personal branding is to make yourself to basically sell yourself before you even walk in mm-hmm. to a seller, and that's that's the whole point of the magazine. It's a listing tool. We're going to do a whole show really. on personal branding coming up in the next couple of mm-hmm. weeks because personal branding is very very important oh, yeah. in our industry, maybe more than any any other industry that I can really think about because it's really. Branding you, not branding a company and branding a a signage or or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's really branding you. And that's what our customers really look at. Quickly, um, 
uh, Nick, you you explain what you mean when you say you scout and offer listings for CBS News Living Large Real Estate segments. What, what, tell me what that's about. Uh, Emily Smith. Yeah, we. Um, one thing I try to do is I try to make a lot of, um, and this is not to say I don't really really like these people um, in general, but I ch- we also- we've got great brokers here who can be features. Well, I have a lot of students. <laughs> so let's say friends that are also uh, strategic business partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's Emily is one, um, the Yankees is another, like a new organization I'm linking with. Um, basically, the idea is to bring value to agents however possible. So it's not like I can just take any listing and throw it on Living Large, but if there's something special, if there's something with a little editorial quality, that's something that I'll- kind of text her immediately and say, look at this, mm-hmm. take a look at it. And I, there's a wide range of things like that I try to kind of accumulate, not to sell to people, but rather to make it more, to bring more value to the people that do work with me for different things. All right, we have to go to break. We are coming back for more of Good Morning New York right after these messages. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back for our last segment. We are here with Nick Kalaitis from Metropolitan Magazine. We are here with Perul Brombat from Compass, Niall Lundgren from Compass, and Rachel Altschuler from Douglas Elliman. Heavy hitters in this room. All right, so question to all of you. If you can afford a space as large as a four-bedroom apartment in Brooklyn on a rental budget of $5,000 a month, what can you afford in Manhattan for that money and where? Studio. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, just saw, I just saw a studio for $5,000 a month, actually. Just yeah, yesterday, amazing, yeah, right? day before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One bed. Depends on the building. I mean, you know, is it is it a rental building that's completely full service? You can you know, get a two-bed. Bedroom, everything in a walk-up, maybe even a three. I mean, on the heels of this conversation of luxury, so people outside of the 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 city limits, so to speak, would look at five thousand dollars and say, "My, (laughs) what on earth? Five thousand dollars? I pay my mortgage, I pay my taxes, I pay my gardener, I pay the the nanny, I pay all of these, and and it's not even five thousand. What on earth are you thinking about luxury? What I mean, so a one bedroom, a two bedroom." 
good good building. Well, apparently luxury it's a studio. <laughs> <laughs> well, people are spending 65% of their income right now mm-hmm. on housing and it whereas it used to be 50% mm-hmm. and that's a problem for me. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't think that where are people putting their money? Are they're not saving? Their where are their priorities? It's very disturbing to me. I mean, right. I don't live that way, and I'm not judging them. They can live however they want, but I'm concerned when they get older. Are they putting money in retirement? Are they socking money away for some troubled times? I'm not so sure they are, and yeah. this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, what is the compelling reason mm-hmm. to not, I mean, to stay here versus investing outside of the city in a home where it's a lot less expensive and where you can still have a family, still do lots of things and probably save. Here in the city, it's a lifestyle choice to do what we do and maybe not save as much. Moving on, it was in the early 1970s that artists began making uh, their way over to Tribeca, which is downtown here in New York City, coming over from Soho. Okay, where they first started landing. So began Tribeca's ascent as one of the most in-demand and exclusive downtown neighborhoods in the city. The neighborhood gained even more attention when John F. Kennedy Jr. purchased a loft at 20 North Moore Street Yummers. in 1994. Mm-hmm. I saw that house. Yummers. Beautiful. <laughs> with his fashionable blonde wife, uh, Carolyn Bassett, I, for one, credit John Kennedy with putting Tribeca on the map. Now people are willing to pay more to live within the confines of Tribeca than anywhere else in Manhattan. The neighborhood's median sale price for 2015 was $3.42 million. Mr. Nick, Mr. Luxury, Tribeca has become the neighborhood of choice for those who have the means to live wherever they want and is no longer limited to the baby stroller brigade. What is what? What continues to happen in Tribeca that makes this so desirable, continues to be so desirable? You know, I actually do have an opinion on that. Um, I actually love it. Um, It's one of my favorite parts of Manhattan. And what I find, it's the only area of Manhattan that I've seen, or the central part of Manhattan, where it's got a little bit of the suburbs in it. It's got a little bit of that flavor. I mean, there was a, we did, um, one of the parties we did with Dolly, was in Tribeca. I think, yeah, it was definitely in Tribeca, and it was on this townhouse that was the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Four car garage. Wow. Two outdoor spaces, including a roof that just extended forever. Second separated Mm. outdoor area. area. So if you're a couple Mm -hmm. and you can't stand each other, you can go into your separate places. (laughs) Um, And uh, still be outdoors. Yeah, working fireplace, exactly. (laughs) And, you know, and it was basically like your own luxury house overlooking the water. Yeah. It's just mm. was phenomenal, phenomenal. I don't think you can find that anywhere else, and that's, that's <clears throat> a certain charm to it. Well, early on, people obviously went down there because they wanted space. Mm-hmm. They wanted more room within their the confines of their home. It wasn't necessarily about view, and that, that's a special place, but it mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily about view, and it wasn't necessarily about amenities because a lot of these early lofts were industrial, industrial, do it yourself, ride the elevator yourself, whatever, walk up in some cases. But when you were home, you had space that was unbelievable. It was just tremendous. You've got those cavernous, you know, big, tall ceilings, huge windows. So you kind of got that what was started defining what was downtown Manhattan apartments, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, the other thing also about Tribeca to this day is Tribeca is kind of a really sort of large area if you really think about it so there's parts like you know like around broadway and white street you know that are still sort yes. of a little bit of no man's land yes absolutely and there are people who still shy away from living there and as a result you can find larger spaces still at a decent price i mean david letterman's loft used to be specifically on that street actually mm-hmm. and it was one of the most beautiful like 
you know, nondescript little random building that you'd just walk by and not even think anything of it. Absolutely. And he walked in and his loft was just absolutely gorgeous. Well, John Kennedy's at 20 North Moore Street, right on the corner of Varick. I love that building, I mean, yeah. that's a nice building, but when you look at it from the outside, forgetting Nothing. that he lived there or not, it yeah. just looked like, you know, an old yeah. warehouse. And Varick's ugly. And Varick's ugly, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, the location there wasn't the most ideal. <laughs> of course, North Moore Street, you know, has become the Fifth Avenue of the Tribeca area. But it's continuing to it's it's interesting to watch the continuing I say rise of Tribeca because it doesn't seem to even stay flat. It just continues mm-hmm. to go up in value. Um and it's interesting for a whole bunch of reasons. It is my favorite neighborhood next to the West Village, but what are you gonna do? One of these days in my next life. <laughs> All right, moving on. For a whole host of reasons, job relocation Awful roommates, a relationship that has hit the wall. Renters prematurely break up with an apartment. After all, most people's lives don't line up uh, tidy with a schedule of a 12-month lease. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. While ending a lease early is a pretty standard transaction in the world of real estate, unless you're relocating for work and have an employer willing to pay the balance of your rent, you've got some financial responsibilities that you're facing when you leave. How do you... I guess. I think get Phil. Out of the I lease. think this would be perfect. It, perfect if Phil was here because exactly. this is like the perfect plug for leasebreak.com. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> you better be writing you a check later. Exactly. You're welcome, Phil. I think that's that, that's exactly. But that's what you would do in that situation. Is you know, it's either hire a broker, you break your lease, um, you know, or you put on leasebreak.com, where you have your your employer pay the balance. It's shocking to me, though, because I just heard this a couple of weeks ago, that that renters just think that they can get out of a lease. Well, I'm getting transferred, or I'm leaving, or I decided to buy something, and I've got eight months left on my lease. <laughs> I'm just going to leave. Well, you can't. Yeah. And you, you, you Point can't. of a contract. Yeah. But you right. know, in, in this city, though, it's not as difficult to find a subletter Correct. or somebody to take over the lease. And most landlords, as long as you find them somebody to take over the remainder of your lease at the same uh, price and they qualify and whatnot, they kind of let you out of jail I'll tell you, though, what bit. I do for my owners, interestingly enough, you probably do the same thing, is I, <clears throat> when a tenant is breaking their lease, they are accountable until the end of the lease. The owner gets to test the market, whereby we can aggressively price it. And so hopefully they get, even if it's $25, $50 more for the owner, um, the tenant is on the hook. We get to test the market, and usually I get more money for them. So it's it's actually okay when a tenant breaks the lease for the most part, as long as they work with a broker. In in some cases, yeah. It How works are out. management companies with that? I'm so curious because I haven't really actually faced them. that much. Doesn't so. phase them. Just okay. more paperwork for them. But right, right. Yeah, but that's it. But that's their. They get another big. I was going to say I don't so really whatever. think that they pay, they pay too much attention. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's one of those things. It's a New York uh, axiom that the further you are from a subway station, the less you'll spend on real estate. It was with this in mind two years ago that a family moved from a one-bedroom on 96th and Park to a two-bedroom on York Avenue on the far east side of Manhattan. They figured that they would get more space for their money, especially before the opening of the 2nd Avenue subway, which is still you know, touted for the end of 16, uh, and could <laughs> use the extra, uh, exercise while walking 10 blocks to the nearest train. So how do you think that turned out for that family? Ten blocks to a train several times a day sometimes can be a little much. What do you think? Oh, I think it turned out as far as the investment or their um, athletic uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> just, I mean, just in general, you know, living on Park Avenue 96, they were a block away from the train. Right. So now they're walking ten blocks. I know for me, I'm not walking ten blocks to a train. It's, it's obviously awful. Over. <laughs> I think it's terrible. You, know? it's you don't walk one block to the subway. No. So. <laughs> I don't. It's the amount of time you lose. It's not even about the exercise. It's just a matter. The of reason I ask this question right. is because when we start with clients, and I, I have a new client, you know, on the Upper East Side, and I always think to myself, you know, all right, so why 
are they going to these locations? Is it because they feel they can get a better price for the for the property? Probably yes. But do they take into consideration, you know, that they need to walk? I mean, several blocks. I once lived on seventy second and second, and walking to sixty eight and Lex was like a full time job every day, twice well, a day. For me, it would just be that I would end up paying so much more in cabs and Ubers that it wouldn't even mm. make a difference. <laughs> I have a client that bikes to work from East End Avenue. And he wow. wanted to live on East End Avenue. He loved the silence. East End it's Avenue is quiet. beautiful. Quiet. Mm-hmm. Once you go east of First Avenue, it's actually amazing. It I love it. It is. It's and gorgeous. so, yeah, he bikes, and the wife takes the train and walks. I mean, it's there's pl- and it's the same for the West Side. So Eleventh Avenue used to be the same comparison. Now people are flocking over to West Chelsea and, and mm-hmm. all the way up north. So. <laughs> It's kind of the same thing. I think doing it every day, it's it's not an issue, but to wrap your head around going from being two blocks from the train all the way to four avenues is a big difference. It really is. And I live yeah. far west. I live on West End Avenue, and there's only one other avenue. It's Riverside Drive, and it's kind of like quiet, as yeah, you said, Rachel. Yeah. And it's I feel like I'm getting away from it all. Um, but you're only two I'm blocks only, from the train. I'm only one I block from the train. I love Western Avenue. I know. It's we perfect. love it. That's the Our beauty favorite. of it all. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we are out of time. That is Good Morning New York for today. Thank you for joining us. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.